I didn't mind being woken up. I thought, you know, I had to sleep. And it was like, as soon as I got over that, if I did get a good night's sleep, it was a bonus. Yeah. Um, but no, it's full time. If you have a child, you know, especially for mums, because that very special connection yeah. is um, full time. Yeah. But you're so right. It's that if you take away that expectation of what you think they should do, and you're Absolutely. just in the moment with them and responding to what they are doing, it's Absolutely. so much less stressful. <laughs> so yes. Less stressful. And because they are in the moment. Yeah. Oh, that's, so in the moment. That's a wonderful thing with oh, children. Yeah. They give us that reality. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, they share that reality. Uh, and it's, um, you know, a lot of us are so clouded yeah. uh, by other things that past and future. And we lose that reality of being in the moment. Mm. Children have it. Yeah, oh, they so do. I feel like I'm going to have to introduce you now. Good evening to everybody, because we're in another episode of Mothers Talking, and I'm very excited about um, who we're speaking with tonight. We're with the wonderful, a very, very important person in who's become very important to me and Jude in our life, the lovely Peter Walker. Hi, Peter. <laughs> Hello, Jenna. Nice of you to invite me onto your podcast. Thank you. It's an absolute pleasure. I wanted to sort of let listeners know who, you know, they they might be familiar with the work, they might not, and I'll let you talk about your work in a minute because you'll do that a lot better than me. But I wanted to say how I came across you because it's so funny, like how small the world is, because I first heard your name from Natalie who obviously I do this podcast with. So Natalie Meddings was, you know, part of the active birth movement when you and Janet Blaskus and everyone was at the active birth center. So I think you guys sort of loosely knew each other. I don't think you knew each other well, but she definitely knew about you. And then through her doula work, she came across you and your, you know, your baby massage and then your amazing, incredible work with babies who, you know, might have some delay or some struggles, and we'll talk more about that. And she was telling me a story about you working with a baby she knew who had been born with difficulty, and you were working with this baby and how incredible you were at supporting this little babe. And I remember listening to, I can remember where I was when she was telling me the story. And I remember listening, thinking, God, this guy, who is this guy? <laughs> he sounds like an incredible human being. And then as fate would have it, a few years later, I'm emailing your gorgeous wife, Kerry, saying, I would love to, you know, work with Peter when my son Jude is born. And, you know, he's going to be born with Down syndrome and I don't know what to expect. And, you know, I want to, support his low tone and whatever else kind of comes along with it and she was so wonderful in the email so warm and it was lovely and we've been working with you since Jude was two weeks I think wasn't it it was really really and um and of course he's two and a half now can't believe it and walking thanks to you (laughs) And it's all just magic. And I've learned from you along the journey so much. I can't just your 
a, a book of knowledge on babies and connection and attachment and the physical and the mental connection. Like, it's just, I thought I just wanted to sit down and talk with you. Um, but maybe you could explain a bit more for everyone that's listening about what you do, because I'm just saying it from my experience. But obviously, yeah. you have a huge world of stuff that you do. So do you want oh, to talk a bit about it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I remember um, Natalie um, from way, way back, um, yeah. the Active Birth Centre. Yeah. And, you know, I go, my, my work, I go back 50 years. I've been working with mothers and babies thousands literally and teaching for the last teaching teachers um developmental baby massage is which is what i teach mm-hmm. um also for the last 20 30 years um yeah it's just um i don't can't even remember how i really got started in this i did i worked with rd lang very famous, very beautiful man, a psychiatrist. And he turned me on to the importance of 1001 critical days. Mm -hmm. Um, I think he saw that my interest in children, um, because I used to play with his kids when I went round and spent time with him. And he did, um, well, I actually put on some seminars for him at the Logan Hall in Bloomsbury. And... um, in those five seminars, he, in the way back in the 70s, that 1001 critical days from conception to around two and a half, mm-hmm. where the brain blossoms and so much is possible at that time. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think it's especially important, well, it's especially important for all babies but if there is the likelihood of a problem, the earlier that you can help your child, mm-hmm. then the the better. Because around two and a half is something called pruning, where the brain, those um, connections that have been established, the brain enlarges upon those. And those that haven't, they tend to be pruned. It's called pruning. Mm-hmm. So that early, those early days uh, um, with the mother and father and baby, I, I think are especially important. Um, you know, birth is a is a huge event for a family, mm-hmm. and if the birth goes well for the mother's expectations, well, whatever that may be, can make such a difference to the family, to her feelings with her child and the, and the father, and connecting at that time as well for the baby. You know, we come into a completely unknown world. You know, we because we see the baby's there and the baby's breathing, oh, you're safe and, and all of that, which is wonderful, but also it's a completely new world for the baby. And that skin-to-skin with the mother following the birth is like a um, further period of womb time because, you know, for us, uh, we're not like other mammals. Um, we don't get onto our feet as soon as we're born. And in fact, for many children, um, they need to harmonize 
their breathing rhythm, their body temperature, their heartbeat with their mother, and that skin to skin, it doesn't happen um, outside of that skin to skin with the mother. Um, of course, it does over a period of time, but uh, from that point on, there's a valuable connection that can be made because babies, in the nicest possible scenario where the cord is left until the baby's breathing for themselves, I think that's an important one to remember mm. because if you if you stop the baby, if the baby has to struggle for breath if you cut the cord, you know, for us, it's like someone putting their hand over your mouth <laughs> for the for the baby when that just follows through. And to, to removing a baby from the mother again, yeah, unless it's absolutely necessary, it's, um, you know, everything that supported that baby's life up to that point, that you know, if you remove the baby from the mother, that's that can be very disturbing. So I think to balance that birth trauma, separation anxiety, where that separation has been necessary, mm -hmm. separation anxiety, there's things that we can do mm -hmm. that can relieve that because this is for life. That 1001 critical days is a very foundation of emotional, physiological, physical development. Yeah. And if, if we get that right, then we're, we've got a fair chance of uh, surviving if life gets a bit tricky. Uh, otherwise, you know, it's like building a house without foundations. And later on, the house is a few years old, it gets a strong wind, it starts to wobble. But, you know, if we got good foundations for our children, when the sort of change of life, uh, changes of life that happen to all of us, we've got an emotional strength to withstand and to help us to get through. Mm -hmm. um, I think you, following the, the birth, if we can get some time with mum and dad, mm -hmm. belly to belly, it's tummy time from birth. Mm -hmm. You lay the baby on the tummy with mum. And let's not forget that babies are in their bellies. You know, the belly, the enteric nervous system, is the first uh, nervous system to develop in humankind. The brain comes out of the belly. This blew my mind when you told me this for the first time. Blew my mind when you were like, he's in his belly. And I was like, what? Well, yeah. <laughs> and I, and that was just, that was a real game changer for me to understand that. But please, sorry, I didn't want to interrupt, but I just thought that was so fascinating to hear that, you know, he wasn't, you know, he wasn't in his brain yet. He was in his belly brain and how to respond to that rather than the brain, if you see what I mean, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Well, that is here and now. Mm -hmm. I mean, the belly is here and now, and that's mm -hmm. the child expresses everything in the here and now, their hunger, their pain, mm -hmm. their need to be held, to be touched, and their, their pleasure. Uh, even I've, I've worked with a little boy for some time who was having great difficulty in lifting his head mm -hmm. and it took him months literally months mm -hmm. and um, and I will never forget that because it happened while we were while I was working with his mama and he sort of lifted his head 
And he gave this most beautific smile and this laugh came out from his belly. Uh, it was so moving oh. um, because it had taken him months and by then his head was quite large and oh. you know he was having a lot of difficulty oh. with his development. Um, but no, it's the baby brain, the enteric nervous system. But it's also known, you know, I've worked throughout Japan. I've worked in the Sojoji, one of the oldest uh, Buddhist temples, maybe the oldest for 20, 20 years or more an annex there and of course you know amongst certain groups of people the belly is known to be the hara it's the center of our energy it's the center of our of emotion and motion of feeling and movement and for the for the baby they center there and until the you know, the brain starts to develop as far as e emotional response goes, there's a difference between the brain and the belly. Um, it's being recognized now that if you breathe out, because that's the essence for the baby, to check the baby is breathe in properly, to lay the baby belly to belly with mum, with dad, dressed, undressed, uh, encourages the belly to relax and it encourages the diaphragm to descend. It gives it space to descend and helps the baby's breathing rhythm. It calms the baby. If you breathe in, if you have an emotional problem, whatever, mm. you breathe in, and you go for it if you want to. Yeah. But if you want a bit of space, yeah. you breathe out and that calms the body. Mm. It works with well, there's two nerves, the vagus nerve and the phrenic nerve, and they're from the back of the neck. And this is another area that with the newborn baby, we try to release the back of the neck, mm. especially if the baby's had a long, difficult or difficult birth. Mm. Um, because any compression on the back of the neck can interfere with the baby's breathing rhythm. I saw that very, very clearly with one of my sons who nearly died following his birth. And uh, it was a difficult birth, and he had a cervix mark around the top of his head when he was born. I saw very clearly, I, he showed me very clearly um, what would have happened if we'd put him in a cot. His mother knew intuitively to keep him with her, Mm. Um, but um, he stopped breathing and I was very fortunate in, in knowing what to do and bringing him back. Well, he, most of it was instinctive, but mm. if he'd been in a cot, I mean, he, he would most surely have died and that would have been sudden infant death syndrome or cot death or whatever you want to call it. But I knew from looking at that scene that his neck had been compressed that and and as a result of that, I actually made it quite a strong point in my developmental baby massage course in the way that I teach and mm -hmm. work with mothers and babies to, okay, this is not difficult to release the baby's neck and shoulders following birth, mm -hmm. but that can make um, sleeping safer and that belly to belly, encourage the baby's belly to relax um well you're going to have a much happier baby because i remember i remember with jude as well do you remember it was quite 
the early weeks, maybe early months, but he wasn't making much eye contact. And I said to you, I feel like he's not quite with me. You know, he wasn't quite making enough eye contact. And then you said, I think we need to release the neck and you got me to do some exercises. And as we were on, on the phone, you know, on Zoom, and I did it, and he looked straight at me. <laughs> we both were like, <laughs> we were like, what? <laughs> it was yeah. like amazing. Yeah. It was yeah. like incredible. Um, well, uh, there are. I mean, this is practical stuff. It's not sort of. Um, esoteric philosophical i mean mm. you know if you release the back of the neck for the baby the newborn baby you know it's, it does very real very positive repercussions throughout the body mm. and that um you know self-soothing it's something that most of us as adults find very difficult to do and it's because we've never really been taught how to do it but it's something that you can do with babies from very beginning. There are a couple of very easy techniques that can help the baby to relax their belly. You know, you relax the belly, you relax the baby. Doesn't matter what else you do. If the baby is upset, if they're screaming, if they're crying, if they're anxious, if whatever, mm. they're not going to relax until they relax their belly. Yeah, that's why, you know, it's not a head thing. The baby's in their belly. If they're hungry, you know, you're not going to get a baby to do very much until you, they've satisfied their hunger. All these babies, obviously, with reflux, colic, sore tummies, is that why, you know, they're so kind of stressed and not sleeping? Because their bellies are uncomfortable, so they can't... Well, it's emotional and it can be from uh, what's going on in the around them, but also, you know, it's from inside as well. Mm. Um, that's why the connection with the mother and baby is so strong. Mm. Um, you know, we they have this, what is it called, microchimerism. Mm. It's where that transference of cells through the umbilical cord a wonderful process. I use it in stem cell research now, of course. It's wonderful healing. Mm -hmm. And the baby sends healing cells to the mother. Um, that connection, it goes in every part of the mother's body, you know, in the bones, in the muscles. And you have that's the mother's intuition that keeps you, you know, even now my old, my children are older and my wife will start to say to me, oh, I haven't heard from Suri for a while. And, you know, the phone will ring. I mean, and that's not a coincidence. It's not a one-off. It's like very, very regular, that kind of thing happens. But she has a very close connection. She nurtured that from the births of uh, babies. Mm. Um, and and it is the, it's the very essence, I think, of a mother's intuition, which is in the belly. Mm -hmm. So it's the gut feelings. And, and above all else, I mean, uh, many of the women that I've worked with whose babies have had problems have saved their babies' lives from their gut feelings. Um, you know, I know one woman who took her baby back to hospital, a baby had been given the all clear by the doctors, by the hospital, and 
she was very upset. She came to one of my classes and I said, look, you just follow your instinct. So she said, right, took her baby back to the hospital and had him re-examined, saved his life. And that's um, that's not just a one-off. That's mother's gut feelings. They're the ones to... to I, had that, I had that recently with a friend, actually, a doctor friend, and her daughter's just had appendicitis and had to have her append you know appendix removed and they were like she's fine everything's fine and she was like she's not fine like I know her I know there's something up this isn't right and and that was a doctor who kind of could assess as well and you think you know and they were still like no 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 and then they did the test and they were like we're getting literally they were like we're getting an emergency surgeon now like she's you know, her infection markers are through the roof, her inflammation scores through the roof. Because we talked about this before, you introduced me to that micro shimmerism, is it? Yes. And I think that is something that is so powerful and so beautiful. But I also know that I've told some of my friends who sadly have experienced loss, and it's brought them a lot of comfort to know that their baby cells are within them. Yes. You know, that's very like much. that's very, very powerful to know. Yes. You know, that I think I just wanted to say that for anyone listening, because through miscarriage or stillbirth or losing an older child, it's the saddest thing in the world. And to know that there's that physical connection, connection. with them. Yes, that stays. That mm -hmm. doesn't go when the baby's 10 or 15 or 20, whatever. That stays in the mother. So, yes, there there is that. It's a a very special connection that um, sadly men don't have. We can get a great connection with our babies, belly to belly, but that we have to calm down. I think men find it maybe a little bit more difficult to go into that calm space. Mm -hmm. um, you know, when they're... As I say, in other cultures, especially in Japan, they call it the hara, and it's the, the centre of the body. Mm. Um, and they say that, you know, adults that are uh, reside in the hara are much more compassionate and much more able to listen, and they have a, a low centre of gravity, which gives them a very secure foundation. So it's like with Jude, who um, has, it was so flexible. I mean, hypotonic babies are incredibly flexible. There is a always a positive side if you can find it. Mm -hmm. And that can be very difficult, I know. But mm -hmm. the positive side of hyperflexibility is that you have their dancers. They have these wonderful movements. I mean, I see Jude... You know, a couple of times I've seen him recently. Now he's on his feet. I mean, he's so quick, and he can he can stop himself within a nanosecond. You know, any other kid racing across the room, most kids tried stuff, and you know it would take them a little bit. But he just bang, he's on his feet. He stops, <laughs> and that's because he's got a low center of gravity, because you had the patience to work with him in the way that you did. Mm -hmm. And that's a wonderful start, I think, to give a child a low centre of gravity, to not to hurry them, um, especially if the child 
is in any way has a developmental delay problems along those lines. Don't it's not how quickly uh, all children, especially children with problems, not how quickly they get on their feet. It's how well they do it. And I think it's unfortunate that most parents don't really acquaint themselves with all their babies locomotor milestones because everything that the baby does regarding those milestones each one of them has a benefit on the body so you know we see gross the gross ones you know lifting the head and sitting and crawling and standing and walking mm -hmm. but before that there are other things that the baby does that have enormous benefits to their body. I mean, many babies miss crawling, but, you know, crawling has great benefits to the body and the brain. Um, it's an assimilation of everything that the babies learn up to that point, opening their hands, stretching their arms. It's, it's that walking movement with the legs and strengthening the baby's body and then spatial recognition, the beginning of intellectual development but every milestone has its own benefit and lays a foundation for the one and the ones that follow mm -hmm. so many children you know you can get away with that by uh, you know helping the baby onto their feet and, and and off they go kind of thing but if the child uh, has a problem with their development you won't get away with it you, there's no point, absolutely no point, in trying to help a baby to stand up if they can't lift their head up and control their neck. Um, you know, the spine is the centre column of the body. Everything hangs off our spine, head, lungs, liver, arms, legs. So you work with the spine and you work with the baby slowly down the spine, you know, head and neck, arms and hands, and then help them to keep a low center of gravity as you bring them up onto their feet. You did that with Jude. Wow, uh, because of you, you. Well. because of you, because you were so amazing at pacing me and you were so reassuring. Like we would do something for ages, you know, when he took, a, like I remember you saying he took a little while to get going. He did take a little while, didn't he, to really kind of That's find that. Head control and then that more sitting up bit. He took a That's while to get thing, there. Jenna, yes. And yeah. and you and you just kept saying he's great. He is perfect. He's great. He's getting it. Just keep going. Yes. Keep going. Keep going. And we just did it bit by bit, like work, like you said, working down his body. We never oh, rushed him. Saying. And it was a mate. And look at him now. <laughs> but but it is that patience, and you know the pace of life is so quick. And of course, you know, I mean, if you offer a mother, say, well, you, you know, this is the way to do it. Let's get him on his feet like this. And I do come in for criticism, and especially when it comes to the babies nearly standing. Because when you get to that point, you know, most mums want their babies to stand and run. And, and I say, hold it, you know, do let's do this really slowly. And there have been, you know, instances where, um, where I've said, you know, do it slowly, and the, they've gone a bit too quick, and that has can have that can have major repercussions. Um, mm -hmm. But one of the things that came um, long time ago for me, 
there's a little boy with cerebral palsy and his mum was trying to get him st to stand and she was told to lean him against the couch and his little legs were buckled. He couldn't use his arms. His head was dropped. So I said, you know, it was a dear little soul and a beautiful, beautiful parents. And I, they brought him to me and I said, look, you know, we have to start from the beginning, head and neck first. I'll never forget. I remember her saying, you know, I always thought that once he was on his feet, everything would be all right, which, of course, it would. But he wasn't going to get on his feet in that way. Mm -hmm. um, and um, and she worked with him and, and, got, and that little boy, well, he's a, he's a grown man now. Um, he's a writer and into all kinds of wonderful things. And I've many children like that. Another little girl that I work with um, who was born dead is, uh, uh, you know, these, uh, I remember the first, one of the things her mum said to me was, you know, she's never going to go to university. And, and she did go to university. And um, she's working now in the public sector with um, children with disabilities. And, you know, I mean, one of the sad things, I, mean, I don't want to dwell too much on disabilities, but with the children that I work with, you know, it's usually I'm the last one. <laughs> Everything else has failed. So, you know, that mother or father would get on to me. And... Um, I've been and seen so many of those children where they can't speak, they can't lift their heads up, their, their movements are very, very limited. But don't make the mistake if your child is like that, that they do not know what is happening around them and they don't understand. Um, and it's best not to, to talk in the third party and um and and talk about things that could be upsetting for that child um because of course you know we we reach an age where we understand language um far earlier than when we begin to speak it um and those babies uh, understand what is happening and but for for all children those locomotive milestones are so important and you know, I was so it was so lovely working with you. I've got to say this because you didn't have those ambitions of putting them on his feet at the earliest possible, you know, and you you really did work and make made sure that every step of the way he got it right. Mm -hmm. And I could see, you know, he came from sitting to second sitting to crawling, standing on his knees even walking on his knees before we started to really strengthen his legs as such. And, and you, was, you were prepared to go all the way with that. And that's, he's the most beautiful little dancer. I hope he's gonna, you're going to give him a chance with, the, with dancing. He loves dancing. We dance every day. He loves to dance, but yeah. thank you for saying that. But it was I was just lucky because you say that, you know, people come to you last, you know, when they're kind of desperate and they've tried everything else. Whereas I was so lucky because I got to you first. So I, you know, and that was the best thing I ever, ever did for Jude was come to you first. And um, 
And I feel so lucky for that. And I think what what you really showed me, I just say this is about, which I think intuitively I sort of knew from my other kids, but you really kind of brought it home was that one, trust them, trust them that they'll get there, but also to get in their bodies, you know, like he's never had any contraptions or chairs or bath seats or, do you know what I mean? We were just working with his body all the time. So he was strengthening. He was feeling his own body. He was feeling his way and his muscles and his, you know, it was like, yes, he never had to have any accessories. It was just coming from him, but slowly, gently. And I think that's why he's so grounded. Yes. Because he is really in his body. Yes. Like he really is. And that yes. that was magic. That was we, we tend to forget that we, we you know we stand up with the soles of our feet, not our brain. Uh you know, and it's that you push down and and the baby starts to lift up. But you know, we push down with our feet, and that's the last part of the body to actually develop is the is the, the legs. So there's no hurry, get it all right, get the baby's posture right when they're um, sitting, um, um, when they're they're crawling, and bring them up very slowly. There's no hurry. And I think early intervention, you saying you got to me first, I think that's really important. Because if you take a child who's hypotonic, the longer you leave it, the more difficult it gets to for them to strengthen, like Prada Willy babies, uh, they're probably the most hypotonic. You know, they sleep for something like 22, 20 hours a day. If you leave it, the baby gets bigger and heavier, and it becomes a weight problem. Mm. Um, and similarly with babies with, uh, say, something like cerebral palsy, but they, they won't diagnose it. They'll say, wait and see, which is very valid. And I understand why medical profession would do that. You know, it's very valid to, before making a diagnosis. But prevention is better than cure anyway. And I think with any kind of prognosis that the babies could uh, have a problem mm-hmm. in moving any part of their body, mm-hmm. uh, if you wait and see, then you're you're going to see that, because the, the you know the neurological patterns are adverse, and you'll see that the baby is having a problem before the baby has the problem, before that becomes a fixed pattern. Um, instead of waiting and seeing, you know, through through something like therapeutic play, which is what I work with. We don't do things to babies and children. We we do them with them. If you want the best results, you can't, if a child can't stand up or walk, you can't do things, pattern them to make it work against their will. They have to accept it. And if you work with them to accept it, then you've you've you you've got it then it's established and i think that goes with many things from childhood onwards but those early days and months with physical looking at our physical development 
um, with therapeutic play, you can help that little kid start to open their fingers and give their little arms a little gentle, gentle tremble, get them to loosen up and so on and so forth before um, wait and see becomes obvious that the, there's a problem. Um, and some of the children I've worked with, you can relieve disability and certainly you can help the child where that perhaps that disability would have um, taken over their life. It's, it's possible. It all is possible. I think with early intervention, with the right technique, and uh, you know, a little bit of, of time and patience makes makes it possible. It's so incredible, though. It's, it's so powerful, I think. And what you say about those thousand and one critical days—that early time of their life—I think again, we're not switched onto it enough, are we? How critical that time is, like. Like you say, it's from conception. I mean, I think back to my first pregnancy and I was in a really stressful job, you know, and that would have been stressing him out, you know? It's like we don't... I mean, what would you what would you say are, like, the most important things to, like, help your child thrive in that that 1,001 critical days? What, what do you think of that? Okay, well, I think from conception... Um, a supportive partner is it really can change the whole of the woman's pregnancy and the way she feels about her baby and the uh, future of the family, uh, the child's future. A supportive partner who is sort of educated with with um, what's happening during pregnancy. Um, and, you know, doesn't make, you know, not all his, you know, all our expectations don't get fulfilled. A little bit more compassion and listen to what the mother's saying. So a supportive partner from conception. Birth is really useful to have someone with you that you love and trust. I was with my daughter when she gave birth to her first baby. It was wonderful, me and her partner. We walked, it was a very active birth. And then at transition, bless her heart, she was, she was so in control. And then suddenly she started so almost jumping up and down on her feet and, and like a little child and bringing her hands up. She's going, I don't know if I can do this. I don't know if I could do this. And I just went straight in, put my arm around her shoulders, and her partner came in. I said, "Hey, baby, and of course you could do this. You've got, you've got this. Breathe out. You've got it." And as soon as she did that, that adrenaline went back into oxytocin, which allowed her to. So you know, with the best midwife, with the best doctors, and, and whatever. And if the woman isn't in the right frame of mind, and I'm no birth spe specialist, I've, I've been present at all my children's births and, um, and, and for my grandson, but I saw the change and I see the change when the woman can, in her own home or wherever she decides she's most comfortable giving birth, and to be with her, and if she wants to be held to give birth upright, it's important for men to, to know that, 
that, you know, sometimes some women, my partner, needed to be held, wanted to be held upright while she gave birth. And the last birth that she gave, I was so anxious to help her. I mean, I could see she was just about ready, and I sort of go in and I say, uh, you want, do, you, do, you, do you need me? Can I help you? And she was so calm. She looked, I never remember, she sort of never forgets, she turned her head and she looked and said, yes, leave me alone. It's very calm. And she gave birth. The wonderful midwife sat on the side and just watched her, never done a minute's yoga in her life, gave birth in warrior pose. And the, the sort of midwife sort of strolled over. And as the baby was, she was there. And it was beautiful. Um, he's the calmest kid you'd ever wish to meet. He's, this is like 23 years ago. He's so calm, he's so centered. But the birth, and we need more consideration for the baby. You know, we're, we're not lumps of stuff. We're incredibly sensitive when we when we're first born you know we've got sensory receptors all over the surface of our body and some children really need to be with their mum and and unless it's unless the mother wishes it that's different or there's an acute medical emergency don't take the baby away you know whatever you're going to do keep the baby with the mother i mean it's it's always the children that I've worked with that have been premature, it's always been obvious to me that their corrected age, they're nowhere near that a child of that age who, who would have had a delivery on time. So, you know, if you got a baby who's, say, four weeks premature, you, you have to remember that's time. That, that's being measured in time. There's no account taken on the benefits lost of the mother's womb. So you have to give another, at least in, when for me to work with a premature baby, it's like give another 50%. So if the baby's four weeks, it's going to be more like six weeks, a corrected age. But, you know, it is that sort of, I mean, for want of a better word, disregard almost for the benefits of a mother's womb. For the baby, you know, we're exquisitely sensitive. We don't know where we are when we come into this world. You know, many, as many other, many other cultures look at birth and death, very similar. You know, we pass this world. We don't know where we're going to. A baby comes into this world. We don't know where we are. How would you want it? thinking back, thinking about that, how would you like it? You know, if you're a doctor, a nurse, or a mum, or dad, how would you like it to be? Would you want to come into this world and have the warmth of your mother's body into, into a pair of arms and hands that tell you you're okay, I've got you, you're in good hands now? You know, things that babies do... Oh, it's a moro reflex. It's an anxiety reflex. They throw their arms and legs open. It's like someone coming up behind you going, boo, you know, and you jump. Oh, it's an anxiety reflex. Well, it is, but it's also a signal. Slow down, you're frightening me. I think that kind of thing needs to be taken into account. 
I, I agree with everything you're saying. I think I've always thought that, though. And funnily enough, me and Natalie talked about this on another episode, and I can't remember which one. But we, we were saying about the respect for the baby, you know, really getting behind the baby's eyes and thinking, what is this like for the baby? Yes. You know, and if you are behind the baby's eyes, which that makes a huge difference, but if you are, you would respond so differently, wouldn't you? You wouldn't. Yes. You would do things completely differently. If you're thinking in that way, you know, the way you touch them, however you touch them, the way you change their nappy, the way you let, like, I've always talked to mine, like, I'm going to change your nappy now. I'm laying you down. Are you okay? You know, I'm not like plonking them down and so they don't know what's happening to their own body. You know, I try yeah. and communicate that to them. And I think that's, I've, that's always just been instinctual to me that I would communicate that to them because I'm touching their body and what I'm going to suddenly whip off their trousers or open a nappy, cap, cap, you know, it's all very, it's a lot for them. You can imagine. And that's why loads of them scream and flail when they have their nappies changed because suddenly naked exposed and you know i try and hold them i mean i've i've breastfed them or like my partners changed their nappy because i wouldn't let them cry you know because they hated it so much and my my eldest ed he was such a sensitive baby so i mean we had a tough birth and i think obviously that had the knock on but he was so so hypersensitive and again it's holding that isn't it and doing what they need rather than what we think they need like you say, being present together, being in our bellies with them, so we can be present. Yeah, and and like you say, you know, getting behind the baby's eyes and thinking, how would I like this done to me? Mm-hmm. And if you know, if it's something that is a necessity, like changing the baby's nappy, you know, what did I do that upset? You know, my baby was okay till I picked them up, started doing this, then, yeah, you know, to talk to the baby. I think it's important. There's a sort of a line there where you pick up, you're telling the baby what you're doing. Come on, you know, time for a nappy change kind of thing. And you go in slowly. Um, You know, a lot of children or babies could be really engrossed in playing with a toy or something, and then the mother with just going, or the father or whoever, just pick the baby up, come on, got your lunch now. But, you know, if someone did that to you while you was in the middle of a movie or reading a book, your favourite book, hey, what's going on? Um, And I think that kind of thing. But also, you know, there's a whole thing about, there's a certain point where you can actually disempower a mother uh, I think, you know, if you say to the mother, well, you, you know, that's something like, well, you've got to ask your baby's permission before you pick them up. I mean, come on, you know, I mean, you know, every mother knows that, you know, they pick their baby up, they, they got it. It's like, you know, you, that's that feeling that, it, and the baby will tell you, you know, like mum say to me, I'm going to massage, is there anything that I, before I start, massaging, you know, how do I ask my baby's permission? So I said, well, you know, you, you take it that your baby is in that place and time, and if they're happy with you, then you're going to show them and hands-on and um, encourage that kind of contact. And if they're not happy, they'll show you, they'll tell you. Mm-hmm. Um, it, you know, it's a language we need to learn 
to understand um, from the Moro reflex, from a very extreme, where the baby throws their arms and legs open in anxiety, to more subtle things where the baby will twist and turn away, uh, won't be quite as receptive as you might want them to be when you pick them up. But, you know, I don't think it's fair to um, not acknowledge fully the bond that the mother has with the baby. Mm -hmm. And that if they feel good about picking their baby up, oh, yeah. the baby will show them, a baby will tell them in very no uncertain terms uh, that there are simple things just while we're on that mm. you know i think to remind yourself relax the belly you relax the baby and if the baby has a problem feeding sleeping whatever just a warm hand on the belly can make such a difference mm. you know, i worked with a baby with a mum and baby recently baby was having a they were having a problem with the baby feeding and Baby was very upset. And one of the things that um, proved to be really useful was she just kept a hot water bottle around. And when you, before she fed her baby, she warmed her hand and put it on the baby's baby groan, just went in very slowly and relaxed the belly, you relaxed the baby. Mm -hmm. And whatever else you do, you can jiggle them up and down on your knee or whatever else it is. Unless the baby relaxes their belly, nothing's going to change. Your baby having a problem sleeping, well, warm hand on the belly and, and wait for them to go to sleep. That worked with my children. So, yeah. Oh, this has just been so amazing, Peter. I feel like we could talk and talk and talk, and I feel like we'll definitely have to do another episode. Because be lovely. Time-wise, we're kind of at our time, but... I, I really would like to talk more about this, but I feel like you've been very humble at the start about all your work and you haven't even mentioned your many, many books. So yeah. I think you need to mention, well, as many as you like, but definitely your most recent and where people can find you if they want to look you up and everything. Sure. Um, you, can, um, you can find my new book, The Resilient Child, which gives all the locomotor milestones um, which shows the enablement of locomotor milestones as well as their benefits. Whole body massage, which, you, you know, I'm into massage and movement, um, and lots more beside. You can buy that. It's a hardback copy. You can get it on the babieswebsite.com. Um, and if you want to reach out to me, then you can uh, email me. I'm walker at thebabieswebsite.com. That's my email address. Lovely. Thank you. I feel like you're going to be inundated with emails after this. Yeah, it's no. such a pleasure, Peter, always. And it's been, you know, amazing to have you on our journey. Thanks, Jenna. Thanks, so Jenna. Just don't hurry those babies, you know. Give us time when we come into this world and just think, how would I like to do this? If there's such a thing as reincarnation, <laughs> it could be, you know, it's always possible and it could well be. How would you want it? Perfect. Thank you so, so much. Thank you. My pleasure. Thanks for inviting me.